Thank you, Randy. Great singing, men. Great singing. A little bit of rehearsal of what's to come, right? You'll turn in your Bibles to Psalm 78. Psalm 78. A couple things. Thanks for being here. It's good to see your faces. Good to see you being intentional, prioritizing the morning. Thank you for the many hands that have helped. I see you walking out the door, and uh, especially for those who organized it, appreciate you. Excellent, excellent. And, and Dusty, next time we do a QR code, if you have it not linked directly to your music album to purchase, we appreciate that. Um, <clears throat> Psalm 78, 72 verses, so get comfortable. Um, God has a word for us this morning, and before we place ourselves under its instruction, let's go ahead and pray and ask for the Lord's help. I'll give a few kind of notes and comments, even really connected to the music in more ways than I even thought about even before kind of Randy put the set together, but God is, God is gr gracious and kind and sovereign over these things. So let's express thanks to him now. Father, we turn to you. We want to do just that. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to weep, but God, I uh, Lord, as men, we know this. Perhaps we do not always sense it as we ought. And I pray that you would make our hearts sensitive to these things. And that the byproduct of that is that we would gladly, gladly place ourselves under the instruction of your word. To the end that you would deal with us and change us. To the end that, Lord, our families would be blessed and our homes would flourish to your great glory, of which you are infinitely deserving. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, regardless of your age or season of life, God does have a word for you this morning. And before we do place ourselves under its instruction and drink from the fountain that is its word to us, we want to rest in a particular starting place today. And what is that starting place? Well, it goes without saying that we are not the men that we ought to be, right? None of us are the men that we ought to be. This fellowship is an imperfect church filled with very, very imperfect people. Men, women, husbands, wives, fathers, mothers. And I, I would even start, that imperfection starts right here with myself. And knowing this and embracing it would this would potentially be a massive source of despair, right? If it be not for one thing, and it begins with G and rhymes with E and rhymes with ace, right? Men, we know it as grace, right? Marvelous grace of our loving Lord. We love the line, grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. And there's much sin and much guilt. And so those words are sweet to us. I say all that because we want to approach Psalm 78 from a particular place. We want to do so with the shadow of the cross in mind. God does not want you leaving this place riddled with solely guilt and shame. But he wants you to be gripped by conviction. Grace-motivated conviction. See, grace motivates me to, to want to live my life and lead my family and live gladly under the confines of his wisdom so that he might be honored. Grace motivates me to do these things. It 
is a true statement that we are not the men we ought to be, but grace motivates me to be a better man tomorrow than I was today. Grace motivates me to live in a way that brings him glory. Now, there are a number of reasons why we falter in this responsibility. Perhaps you've even heard people say, well, you know, my wife and I, we, we've just agreed to not force our religion upon our children. Uh, we want to give them a free space to make up their own minds regarding matters such as important as these. Friends, to the world that may sound wise. To the world that may found, sound sophisticated, but it is complete and utter nonsense. There can be no religious neutrality in a home. Because neutrality is a form of religion in and of itself, an anti-God religion. If the attitude of a parent is religious neutrality, it will more oftentimes than not become the religion of the children. You see, most thoughtful people see the stupidity of bringing up their children with an open mind, right? Regarding things like food and school. My, my children don't just get to decide what they eat and how they participate in school. And yet we fail sometimes to apply the same sameness of thought when it comes to knowing God. No, most thoughtful, believing parents, by contrast, we want our children to know God. The issue is another, is that somehow in the hustle and bustle of life, we never get a chance to take stock as to where that instruction might come from. They think if they send their children to church and Sunday school and phenomenal student ministry, right, that that will do. And brothers, that's but one, maybe two, three hours of a week filled with 168 hours therein. No, there is a place that is of far greater significant impact, impact that is greater than any other in society due to the dynamics involved when those dynamics are utilized. And what is that place? It is your home. Psalm 78 addresses the importance of the home, as well as the vital role of parents, specifically you men as fathers. Perhaps you'd hear today even a grandfather, of which we'll get to in a moment. See, this is a psalm of instruction that you'll look at it through the 72 verses. You get a quick sense that it's retelling the rhythmic history of Israel. And I say rhythmic because it's one of rebellion and redemption, sin and forgiveness, wrath and mercy. And when you look at this picture painted for the Israelites, it's not a pretty one. From Egypt to the Exodus to the time of David, Asaph tells the story how Israel was breaking God's covenant while God was keeping it. It's a back and forth of failure and faithfulness, failure and faithfulness. You have the failure of the people of God against the marvelous backdrop of the steadfast faithfulness of Yahweh. Ironically, one of Israel's greatest failures was their failure as parents. And so in Psalm 78, Asaph, a contemporary of David, now longs to be heard because he's speaking an important word from God to God's people. A word that is absolutely essential not only to the preservation of society, which is apropos as we turn on the news today, but also essential as well to the purpose of God's people in that society. If you're taking notes today, and I trust you have an outline, if you distill in one sentence these eight verses, it would be this. Faithful fathers share the lessons and legacy of the Christian story by intentionally investing in the lives 
and the children God has placed in their life. Read with me Psalm 78, 1 through 8. It begins with a heading, a mesquil of Asaph. Asaph writes, Listen, O my people, to my instruction. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. We will not conceal them from their children, but tell to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wondrous works which he has done. For he has established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should teach them to their children, that the generation to come might what? Might know, even the children yet to be born, that they may arise and tell them to their children, that they should put their confidence in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not prepare its heart and whose spirit was not faithful to God. Faithful fathers share the lessons and legacy of the Christian story by intentionally investing in the children God has placed in their lives. Now this investing, if properly lived out, is going to have a few essential qualities in the lives of men. Quality number one would be this. Sound spiritual investing requires that a man soften his heart to the Christian story. Soften his heart to the Christian, to the story of Scripture. Verse 1. He starts off Psalm 78, a masculine, which, which means a wisdom song. And so this psalm is intended to, to dispense just that. It's intended to dispense wisdom. It begins with an invitation, therefore, to do what? Since it's wisdom coming forth, listen. Literally, listen there. The word is to, to listen with understanding. And here it is. Then in obe- o- obey what that which you hear. Right? Listen with understanding and obey that which you hear. What's the implication to you and I? Brothers, this isn't intended to simply rest as some sort of shiny piece of knowledge in the cerebral department of your life. This is to be understood, and this is to be applied. He says, listen to my instruction. Now this and the phrase later, the words of my mouth, refer to the author's instruction, which by inspiration referred to whose instruction? God's instruction, his authoritative word to his people. Make no mistake about it, the psalmist is speaking, but he's speaking to the Lord. Ultimately, this is God's instruction to you this morning, as well as myself, and it's God's word to his people. Asaph says, incline your ears. That word is loaded. It literally means to stretch out, bend low, extend yourself with max effort. Have you ever seen a dog or a horse perk up its ears when it hears something? That's the idea. Asaph's saying, listen, pay attention. Bow your stiff neck. Lean forward to hear every syllable coming out of my mouth. Don't miss a word. Charles Spurgeon wrote in the Treasury of David, he said, Men lend their ears to music. How much more should they listen to the harmonies of the gospel? They sit enthralled in the presence of an order. How much rather should they yield to the eloquence of heaven? Incline your ear. Lean in. 
extend yourself. And what is the method of which the psalmist used to dispense this wisdom? Look at verse 2. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old. Now, a parable is an illustration by comparison, right? It's an explanation by illustrations of comparison. So, in other words, the author takes a common experience of life or an event of history, and he brings it alongside their common day. And he uses it to teach a spiritual lesson or truth. In this case, God's past dealings with Israel outlined verses 9 through 72, summarized in the rest of the psalm, really form a parable of spiritual instruction full of all sorts of lessons for God's people of all ages, including this age. He says, a dark saying, a riddle. This refers to an obscure idea or perplexing questions that require interpretation. Refers to interpreting or disclosing less obvious ideas or truth found in the history of God's dealings with His people, which under the Spirit's ministry, the psalmist is about to unveil. You see, friends, Old Testament history, as you read Genesis through Malachi, it's a history of God's dealing with Israel that's that's revelatory, it's revealing things to you. It's full of spiritual truth that needs to be understood and applied in our own lives. By observing God's gifts and faithfulness, His mercy, love, power, justice, holiness, omnipotence, as well as the way Israel failed, even in light of those privileges that they had. Man, we can learn a great deal that is essential for our own spiritual edification, but also, as we've learned even in the book of Hebrews, also for our great warning. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, these things are written to us as an example. They're for our instruction. You see the source of this instruction in verse 3. As Asaph says, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. The source of this instruction which the psalmist has to give is the truth he and others like him have heard and come to know through their own fathers. Ultimately, as verse 5 is going to later show, this tradition of truth had its source in God's Word. But as the verses below will stress, the most effective way, let me repeat, the most effective way to communicate God's truth for maximum impact, an impact upon children, is when it comes through what agents? Through parents. The more parents teach their children, And the more parents fortify their instruction by godly, loving lives, the better. Spurgeon also noted Sunday school teachers and pastors were never intended to substitute the tears of a mother or the prayers of a father. If you want to dispense, communicate God's truth with maximum impact, let it come from you. Why is that the case? Why is it of maximum impact if it comes from you inside your own home? Because parents have the opportunity, as no one else does, to be models in living color of both attitude and action of those things that they're seeking to communicate. Our students do not live with their youth leaders. 
They do not live with their Sunday school teachers. They live with a very imperfect man in need of the grace of God. Amen? Just have a moment of just real talk for a moment, brother to brother, man to man. It, it is not hard to hear and know the stories of Israel's constant complaining, their, their spiritual prostitution, their covenant rebellion. We can read it in the pages of Scripture. We can. It's obvious to us. But man, it's another thing to know these stories and be moved by and affected by what we see in history. It's another thing to have a heart that is soft to redemptive redemption story and then have your life impacted by it and altered by that softness. I want to encourage you this morning. None of us stands over the nation of Israel in Psalm 78 and ridiculing them for the rebellion and applauding their punishment. We don't. We are like Israel. Let me say that again. We are like Israel. You just sang it a moment ago. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. That's not the case put on display in Israel's history. Just read the rest of Psalm 78. A father whose heart is soft to God's word will not only sense this and embrace this, but he will be quick to share it with his children. I am not the man I ought to be, but grace motivates me to be a better man tomorrow than I was today. Is that what your life displays? Is that what your words convey? Sound spiritual investing requires that a man soften his heart to the story of Scripture. Secondly, sound spiritual investing requires to commit his days to the duty of discipleship. Commit his days to the duty of discipleship. Look at verse 4. Asaph's mission is very clear. We will not conceal them from their children, but tell to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wondrous works that he has done. Notice two things in this verse. Note the determination to declare to communicate God's truth to the generations to come is, is seen in the use of a negative statement followed by a positive declaration of what he intends to do. We will not conceal, but I will sure enough tell. Secondly, these two statements together warn us, listen, that if we fail to tell our children about the truth of God, we are in essence doing what? We are concealing. We are hiding God's truth from them and from the generations to come. Wrap your minds around that for a moment. Again, let me repeat this principle. When we fail to communicate God's truth to our children, we are guilty of hiding from them the most important instruction in all the world. We are men who knows where there is water and yet refuses to reveal it to those who are dying of thirst. And men, if that is not monstrously criminal, I do not know what is. If we fail to share with them, we are concealing. Asaph says, we will not conceal them. But tell to the generation to come the praises of the Lord. Look at that clause, we will not conceal them from their children. Their children means 
his own children, our children, because children of the psalmist generation are really the children of the forefathers who had seen the mighty works of God. They had seen redemption. They'd received the, the word of God as custodians of the truth, right? Romans 3, 2. They had received the oracles of God. They'd been entrusted with these things. And here the psalmist is aware of the ever-present problem that parents have of communicating the truth of God to the next generation. Why do we do this? It's often because of our own indifference to the things of God. Other reasons, perhaps we are preoccupied with the stresses of life. The things of this world, materialism. Perhaps it's our own failure to get real with our own walk with the Lord and our personal life. Regardless of the reason, when we conceal, when we refuse, when we hold back, dispensing this truth and instruction to our children, we become guilty of concealing God's truth because we fail to tell the generation to come the truth of God's word. If anything this morning, I trust that we would resolve, we will not conceal. Again, this is one of the greatest missions of God's people. The command for parents to teach their children and to bring them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord, right? Deuteronomy 6, Proverbs 22, 6, Ephesians 6, 4. It's, this is all over your Bible. Why? Because it's a big deal. We know it's a big deal, but I also know sitting in your seats and wearing a bit of your shoes, we oftentimes can mull over, well, wait, I really don't know what to say. I don't know where to begin. I don't know what to really tell them. Well, look at verse 4. What exactly would the psalmist tell the next generation? He gives us direction. I'm going to tell them the praises of the Lord, the glorious deeds of God, and his strength and his wondrous works that he has done. You want to know a starting place? Just tell of the glorious deeds of God, his power, his strength. Brothers, we must never miss the fact that the history of creation, the history of redemption, provides us the revelation of God. It reveals His grace, mercy, love, and patience, His providence, holiness, justice, omnipotence. The list goes on and on. God's actions in Israel and their responses to Him provide us revelation of both God and man. And so we're not only communicating facts about history, and we are, but we're also teaching our children about the God that they were created to worship. And we're pointing them to the grave need that rests upon their shoulders of being fallen creatures made in the image of that God. We're pointing them to a need for a Savior. Notice God's gracious provision. He has not left you in want of what to say. Look at verse 5. For he, that's Yahweh, that's the Lord, has established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel. Now this stresses how God has clearly revealed himself in an inspired, authoritative, and infallible document, God's word to Israel through Moses. In other words, they were not following cunningly devised fables or the traditions of men. They weren't. 
What they had to offer to their children was nothing short of a miraculous word from Yahweh himself. A word designed to protect them. But not only protect them, but to protect their children from all the many destructive counterfeits that are provided by a world system that's running headlong into destruction. Turn on the news. Under the dominion and deception of one whose name is Satan. What is the protection from those counterfeits? This book. He has established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel. Man, this stresses two great needs and responsibilities that we have as believing parents. Number one, we must put our trust in God's word over the ideas of man. For all areas of life, including the rearing, raising, and training of our children, we must put our trust in God over the ideas of men. And secondly, if we are going to do that, we also need to communicate the character of the Bible as indeed the Word of God. Your children should know that this is an objective, inerrant, infallible guide and authority for every facet of their life. Do they know that? Better yet, do they see that in your own life? Or do they see a family, a home, a man, a father, a husband, floundering as to where to get guidance and direction and accountability? Or do they see a man, a father, a husband, a brother in Christ who needs the constant instruction and input of God's Word into his own life? Do they see that? Our pastor covered it months ago in Colossians 2.8. See that no one takes you captive. What, what language? Captive by what? Philosophy and empty deception. According to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of, of the world, rather than according to who? Christ. Later he goes on to say, we preach Christ. This is the way he continues to reveal himself. And he reveals himself with clarity and authority even still today. Now the implications of this for our parenting and even this new covenant community known as the church... Those implications are pretty staggering and broad. It means that the Bible will literally be the son of our solar system, right? It, it, it will be the book that teaches our children. It will, it will not be one of many books. It will be the, the life-giving son, right? All other books will be assessed under the light of this book. All other books will be judged by this book. All books will find meaning from a worldview that is shaped by this book. Which means... Here it is. Men, this book must be known, right? Step one. And secondly, it must be known better than all other books. If you know Fox News better than this book, something's wrong. And men, this does not happen unless one is committed to the discipleship of their children. Continue on in verse 5, you, you can see the procedural pathway of, of communicating this revelation, right? Which he, God, commanded our fathers that they should teach them to their children. And these words pinpoint the primary procedure God's, God uses to effectively communicate his word to generation to generation. This is the most effective way for children to truly come to know the scriptures. Other agencies can help. 
they only support. They never replace. They, they help in the process of communicating. Maybe a Christian school, maybe this church and the, the ministries therein. But the primary need, the primary need, established by God, is your home. Under the godly influence of a father and a mother. And obviously this includes both parents working together ideally. But God places the lead responsibility on whose shoulders? My shoulders. Your shoulders. And to a certain extent, He holds us responsible for the spiritual condition of our families. Which is sobering. And so God says, teach them. Teach them. Literally declare, make known. Be incessant about your instruction. And this isn't, I need need to be very clear about this. This isn't just information dumps, okay? This isn't dad lecturing. This is dad laboring. That's a whole lot different than information dumping. Laboring to see that our children possess that life-altering measure of spiritual understanding. A perception about life that changes the way that they live because it's shaped by the wisdom found therein. Brothers, if we want our children to know, and if we want them to experience God and to experience a blessing on their lives, and we do, we must be dedicated to teaching our children to know the Lord and His Word. I would ask this morning, we're going to get to, again, remember my starting place, okay? Do not forget, we are not the men we ought to be. We'll bring that full circle in a moment, okay? But I would ask you at this juncture, is that type of discipleship present in your own home? I'll be honest, this is convicting starting right here behind this podium. Too many men are abdicating or ignoring this responsibility. Haddon Robinson wrote this. He says, we spend thousands of dollars strengthening and straightening children's teeth. But we stand by as they develop crooked hearts and twisted lives. That hurts. I have two right now in braces, and my pocketbook shows it. We purchase the latest volumes on child care so we can raise our children by the book, but we have concentrated on the wrong book. Then we act shocked when our children follow the system of the world, or when so few young people have the stamina and discernment to withstand the intense deceptions and temptations of our time. But it is because we have too often failed to effectively communicate the eternal truths of God's Word in an atmosphere that truly communicates the reality of God along with God's love and grace. Why is all this needed? What is the point in biblically biblical, faithful, biblically faithful discipleship? What is the point? The next few verses point us to the great purpose and aim in hearing God's revelation. You see, it's never just an exercise in religious activity or academics. It's never just that. It is a special goal, which leads us to number three. Sound spiritual investing requires that a man devote his efforts to the shepherding of souls. Devote his efforts to the shepherding of souls. Our chief aim as fathers is not to simply, listen, 
It's not simply create good kids. It's not simply to create little miniature religious Pharisees. For the task of communicating God's revelation has a very special goal. Purpose number one is to perpetuate God's truth from generation to generation. Look at verse 6. He says that the generation to come might know, even the children yet to be born, that they may arise and tell them to their children. Note that we are told in verse 6 here that that we need to train our children not only that they might know God's truth, but what else? But that they might in turn then go on to pass it on to their children. Children yet yet born, that they may arise and tell them to their children. Who are these children yet born? I want you to wrap your minds around this, men. Those are your grandchildren. Whether you be a grandfather already or might be one day. These individuals in this generation, the psalmist even has in view, God holds us responsible in some ways even for our grandchildren, which is mind-blowingly sobering. It's sobering for me because, I'll be honest, we often think that if we can just get our kids to 21, some of you 18, hopefully none of you 35, but at least 21 without radically destroying themselves physically and spiritually and morally, that we will have done a good job and we can relax and our work is done. But Scripture tells a very different story. And that's not quite the case. This text teaches us that our aim must extend to succeeding generations. The generations in our family. Grandfathers here today, it suggests that we need to pray for our children as, pa- as parents. For our grandchildren, it, it suggests that when possible, it's good to be around and be involved in the lives of these little ones as a further example of what it is to love the Lord Jesus Christ. To give a Christ-like example before their watching eyes. We perpetuate God's truth from generation to generation. You look at verse 7, the second purpose is to coach our children to put their confidence in God. As Asaph writes, that they should put their confidence in God and not forget the works of God. Word there for confidence is literally the loins, the flank, right? The idea where you get the firmness of your body, fortitude, right? What a man depends on. That they may put that dependence upon Yahweh, upon God. Here, of course, is the great goal of teaching. And raising our children in the Word, we want them to have unwavering confidence in who? Not themselves. Most assuredly not the government. But God. We want their lives shaped by convictions that come from God Himself. We want obedience in our children, but not the obedience of rigid legalism. No, we want the obedience of personal faith in God Himself. Faith in the reality of a God who has worked marvelously in and throughout history to reveal himself to man, not only through the events that outline with Israel, but also through his word and now the person of Jesus Christ himself. These are the things we want for our children. Coach them to put their confidence in God. One, do you show what it is to put your confidence in God? And are you encouraging them to do the same? 
continue on with verse 7, that third purpose of shepherding, to encourage our children towards humble obedience to the Lord's commands. He's just finished saying, by way of review, that they should put their confidence in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. And he goes on, verse 8, here it is. And not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not prepare its heart, and whose spirit was not faithful to God. Brothers, do you want that to be said of your family tree? I think not. Our hope and prayer as parents is that our children would know the blessing of what it is to walk in the fear of the Lord, but also our hope and prayer is that while we want them to know the blessing of walking in the fear of the Lord, we also want them spared the heartache of sin. We say it in our home a lot, Proverbs 13, 15, the way of the wicked is hard. It brings consequences. It just makes life difficult. The truth of Scripture is not designed for our hurt and for the hurt of our children, but for our blessing. Psalm 1, right, says the man who delights in the law of God, right, the man who fears the Lord, delights in his commandment. And how does he describe that man? That man is blessed. That man is happy. He literally has well-being in his life. Sign me up for that in every sphere of his life, heart, mind, soul. It is well with him. Why? Because I am like a tree firmly planted, delighting in the law of the Lord. In the rest of the psalm, Asaph mentions two generations who failed miserably in getting this, as they were marked by what was outlined here in verse 8, stubbornness and rebellion. Look further down at verse 40 of Psalm 80. One of the generations was the generation that perished in the wilderness. And what was their problem? They forgot. They just forgot. They forgot the wonderful works of God. Just listen to the way it's described to them in verse 40. How often they rebelled against Him in the wilderness and grieved Him in the desert. Again and again. That's a powerful understatement. They put God to the test and pain the Holy One of Israel. Here it is, verse 42. They did not, what? Remember His power. The day when he redeemed them from the adversary, when he performed his signs in Egypt and his marvels in the field of Zoan. They did not remember his power. I need you to kind of pause. Let me have your eyes for a moment. Men, this, this, this account, this rebellion, this stubbornness, I need you to be mindful. This is, this is but three measly days from deliverance. And it's already said of them, they did not remember that's heavy. I'm talking plagues in Egypt. You didn't remember? Cloud by day, pillar of fire by night, provision coming down from heaven itself, Red Sea parting, must I go on? And yet they did not remember His power. Careful, lest you ridicule Israel. I'm like Israel. You were like Israel. Turn to the book of Judges for a moment. The other generation outlined in Psalm 78. 
was a following generation that actually settled in the promised land following Joshua's death. Judges chapter 2. What, what was their problem? Well, their problem was that they failed to pass the torch on to the next generation, plain and simple. Look at Judges chapter 2, verse 7. 7 through 10. It says this about them. It says, The people served the Lord all the days of Joshua. Okay, we're off to a good start. And all the days of the elders who survived Joshua who had seen all the great works of the Lord, which he had done for Israel. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. And they buried him in the territory of his inheritance in timnath Perez, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gaz. All that generation also were gathered to their father. So a whole generation died. And look at the end of verse 10. And there arose another generation after them who did not, what? No, there's the word again know the Lord, nor yet the work which he had done for Israel. Joshua's generation failed to do what? They failed to pass the torch on to those after them. They neglected the spiritual nurture of their children, and so a whole generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Brothers, we have a sacred trust to pass on to our children as families and as a church. You know what the encouraging part is? We have everything we need for the task. Amen? We know the works of God. Why? Because we have the Word of God. We're empowered by the Spirit of God. We're motivated by the love of God. We have everything that we need for the task of raising our children in the faith. I encourage you this morning because there's a, a variety of different reactions and responses and thought processes that go on in our minds as we rest under a passage of which the starting place is, I am not the man I ought to be. Number one would be this. If you are here today and you feel like this is woefully removed from your context of life, right? That this is, I'm past that season. I need you to know that there are implications of this instruction that it touches every person, whether you're 85 or 15. If you are a grandparent, we have your attention. Fill your mouth with the mighty deeds of God. Fill your mouth. I will tell the praises of the Lord. Do the little people in your life know that and hear that from you? If you're a grandparent, pray fervently that the generations to come would do what? That they would place their confidence in God. We wring our hands. What is happening to society? Well, back in my day, hey, get to your knees. Bow your head and pray a prayer and plead with God. God, would you prompt the generation to come to put their confidence in you? Your child-rearing years are behind you, and that is the case for many of you. Be not only faithful to pray for the parents in this room, pray for your own children who are parenting those children, but I, I would go still further. If you're a grandparent, take an active, take a deliberate and supportive role in encouraging those parents in the rearing of their own children. Come alongside them, love them, model along with them what it is to love the Lord Jesus Christ and put confidence in Him. If you're here today and you feel like you've missed your window of opportunity, 
you're sitting here and you're thinking of all the days that were squandered and the season that was missed, I want to encourage you this morning. There is grace to be found and rested in this morning. Marvelous grace of our loving Lord, grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. You were tasked to do one thing, redeem the days in front of you, for the days are evil. That's your, that's your task. Are there mulligans? Are there do-overs? No. We serve an incredibly big God. Amen? Third, if you're here this morning with any measure of spiritual pride, I would encourage you today that there are no guarantees in parenting. And I don't need to remind you of this. Some individuals think that if I just do A, B, and C and pull this lever and push this button, out will come a God-fearing child like a widget out of a factory. That's not the way it works. (laughs) And you know this. Brothers, there have been many faithful parents, not perfect, but faithful, who have structured their life and their parenting around this instruction only to still have children who elect to climb Fool's Hill. And at the same time, there have been many a God-fearing individuals whose testimonies, testimonies even in this room, who came from homes that were the furthest thing from being God-fearing. Why? Because we have a big God, and He is able. At the end of the day, in light of this, may your spiritual arrogance fall to the floor, number one. In light of this, who do, where do we place our trust? In whom do we trust? We place our trust in God as we seek to be faithful with His Word. Right? Psalm 127.1, Unless the Lord builds the house, he who labors builds in vain. He who guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Why? If the Lord doesn't build the house. What does that mean? God, I need you to intervene in my family while I seek to be faithful day by day, imperfectly though it may be. Help me be faithful with each day in front of you. I've often thought about just Northlake for us just corporately this week. And I I think even we had an an elders meeting on Thursday just praying for homes and marriages. One of the sweetest places that God delights to bring glory to himself is in the homes of his people. Marriages where grace and forgiveness and restoration abound and selfless love exists. thinking and praying over it. Lord, when you look upon Northlake Bible Church, do we corporately take this kind of responsibility of Psalm 78, 1-8? Do we take it seriously? It's a good question to ask. I would ask you to ask the same question of yourself. Brothers, the most appropriate place that you could start this morning is examining whether or not the task of knowing God is simply taking seriously in your own life. Start there. Is the task of knowing God taken seriously in your own life? Start there and then move on. Because you will not be serious about your children knowing God if that task is not taken seriously for yourself. This logic would follow, no doubt, I trust. We have a sweet responsibility, and we have a big God. Are you thankful for that this morning? Let me pray for us. Go ahead and stand to your feet. Randy's going to come. I think we'll close in song. In fact, we're going to sing, O Great God, if I'm not mistaken. Help me now live a life that's dependent upon your grace, right?
you're about to sing it. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. We we want to be men who embrace conviction. We want to, in humility, receive the word implanted, and I pray that you would ensure that in us today. We pray against the enemy's effort to, to want to simply cause us to swim in a mire of guilt and shame and simply rest there with no spiritual progress coming thereafter. Lord, that is not your pathway and desire for us, we know. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to sense and know and feel all the godly sorrow that you want us to. And we pray that that godly sorrow would open up a floodgate to the pathway of repentance. That there would be corrective measures that we could undertake in our lives that would see us more faithfully live out Psalm 78. We will not be perfect. We will not be perfect. But your grace is sufficient. And we thank you for this. Help us now respond in song, but also in dialogue around the table to the end that we would encourage each other and spur one another on to love and good works. In your great name, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.